Welcome to the Self-Care Goddess Podcast, brought to you by me, Rita Savoya, founder of Savoya Self-Care Holistic Wellness. I'm a certified nutritionist and a holistic wellness coach for midlife women who want to rediscover their happier, sexier selves naturally without pills or side effects so that they can thrive as they age. I'm also the creator of the Savoya Self-Care Method, empowering women to nurture heart, mind, and body for transformative results. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help millions of midlife women become their own health heroes. As a woman entrepreneur and a caregiver to aging parents, I fully understand the many responsibilities and generally stressful times women are living through these days, often suffering in silence, misunderstood, and putting themselves last. That's why each week I will be here for you, guiding you on your personal wellness journey, sharing expert advice from thought leaders on natural, practical, and simple solutions to help you thrive during the midlife transition. Get ready to listen to inspiring conversations about all things wellness, nutrition, mindset, mental health, fasting, hormones, menstrual cycle awareness and sinking, ancient healing strategies like meditation, mindfulness and breath work, and spirituality. Every month, I will also be featuring a small to medium-sized business to help spread the word on the amazing work they're doing so we can support them. And now, without further ado, let's get ready to rumble. Happy listening! Hello, self-care goddesses, and welcome to the Savoya Self-Care Podcast. And today I am super excited because we do have someone very, very special and dear to my heart. I've been chasing you for a while, Ben, and we finally got to, to chat. So I'm super excited to have with us Ben Azadi, and you will be surprised in terms of the wealth of knowledge that this man has. So I'm super excited to be sharing this podcast with you today. So before we begin, I'd like to introduce Ben Azadi. So he, in 2008, Ben Azadi went through a personal health transformation of shredding 80 pounds of pure fat. Ever since then, Ben Azadi, FDNP, which is a functional nutritionist, right? Diagnostic nutritionist. Functional diagnostic nutrition, yep. <laughs> yep, has been on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. Ben is the author of three best-selling books, The Perfect Health Booklet, The Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, The Power and the Power of Sleep. Ben has been the go-to source for intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet. He is known as the health detective because he investigates dysfunction and he educates, not medicates, to bring the body back to normal function. Ben is the founder of Keto Camp, a global brand bringing awareness to ancient healing strategies such as the keto diet and fasting. Ben is the host of a top 15 podcast, the Keto Camp, that's Keto with a K podcast, and the fast growing Keto Camp YouTube channel with over 100 and I think 18,000 today subscribers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today. I am super excited for us to have a, an awesome conversation for our listeners. I'm excited too. It's good to be on your show, Rita, and hello to the self-care goddesses out there. <laughs> so before we go um, any further, I always like to hear people's stories because I think everyone has beautiful stories in terms of why they're doing what they're doing and what has brought them to this point. So tell us your story. Absolutely. I would, be I would be happy to. So I'm somebody who grew up here in Miami Beach, Florida, where I still live. Uh, my parents immigrated here to America from Iran in the 1970s. 
And I was pretty much left to my own devices growing up. My parents divorced. My mom worked three jobs. She worked at a Kentucky Fried Chicken, a Walgreens pharmacy. And I hung out with the wrong crowd, ate a standard American diet. So I gained weight throughout my years growing up to the point where I actually was obese. And I had really bad behaviors with drugs, video games, sugar, processed foods. I was filling my a hole inside of me with food and, and things in my refrigerator. And I had a very unhealthy lifestyle. And this transferred into my adulthood where I found myself uh, at the age of 24 years old back in 2008, being an obese man who weighed 250 pounds, physically obese, mentally obese. I was going through a bad breakup with my ex-girlfriend. I was depressed. Uh, and that's an understatement. I was actually suicidal on the internet looking for ways to end the pain that I kept feeling every single day. But thankfully, I never pursued the suicide uh, because every time I did, I would think about my mother. I would think about what she would have to deal with. And I never wanted to do that to her. So it really forced me to figure things out. It, it, it started, Rita, with reading books. I mean, you see all these books behind me, but at that point in my life, I never read a book. I only read the bare minimum just to get through high school. So I was introduced to a book, a friend gave me a book to read, and then that led to a second book, a third book, and it I just started to consume these authors, incredible authors who have done wonderful things in this world and have been through their own rock bottom and created greatness out, out of it. And it really helped me just wake up and take ownership over my life for the first time ever. And that word right there, ownership and responsibility, so important when it comes to our health, because if we allow others to take care of our health, that's going down a path of destruction. And that's what I was doing for myself. So I decided I am responsible. And that word responsible, responsibility is your ability to respond to life. So up until that point, my ability to respond to life was playing the victim card, blaming my metabolism, my genetics, my enabling family members. I mean, you name it, I was blaming that certain individual or certain circumstance. But then I said, you know what, enough is enough. I am responsible for my problems. I'm responsible for being obese. I'm responsible for being broke and depressed and suicidal. So I actually said those words, I am responsible, which was very liberating for me to just say those words. And at that moment, I became the victor of my future and I stopped being the victim of my past. And I started to focus on my health. I started to exercise. And nine months from that moment, I went from 250 pounds on day one. Nine months later, I went down to 170 pounds. I went from 34% body fat down to 6% body fat, size 34, um, uh, excuse me, size 38 waist in my jeans to size 30. So I finally carved out a, a physical six pack, but the most important thing I achieved was a mental six pack. I started to think better <laughs> thoughts and that's what got me started in the health space, became a personal trainer, opened up a CrossFit gym, got certified with FDN. And then I came across, of course, Dr. Pompa's work and I started to work with him. And then I started to write books. So the rest is history, but I've been down the path of being frustrated with programs out there that focus on calories in, calories out, excessive exercise, and just being confused so I started Keto Camp, my company, to really cut through all the noise out there in the health space, to take these ancient healing strategies that we're going to speak about today, ketosis, fasting, and other strategies, and apply it so you could experience the benefits of reducing inflammation. And our mission at Keto Camp is to educate and to inspire 1 billion people to get this information to them. And that's why I'm here with you today. Amazing story. Thank you. Thank you. Super inspiring. Actually, um, self-care, soil self-care is in business because I want to educate and empower 
women to become their own health heroes. So very, very similar love sort it. of yeah mission and mandate. You know, don't be a victim, be be a victor. I love that. Um, so before we move um, move ahead, I just wanted to sort of recap that on this show we help a lot of women naturally thrive during the midlife transition called perimenopause. And although there are numerous symptoms that are associated with this change, such as hot flashes, sleep issues, mood changes, mental fog, low energy and sex drive, and many, many more, um, today we're going to focus on the weight gain part and exactly how can we beat the midlife bulge, you know, with the keto diet and fasting. So maybe before we start with a more, let's start with a more general question, such as, you know, why is it so difficult to lose weight for women, especially, especially when we get around this age? Yeah, I have seen putting thousands of people through a ketogenic protocol that the men will lose the weight right away. And the women takes a little bit longer, especially perimenopausal, postmenopausal women. So first of all, losing weight goes against survival. It's anti-survival. The, the reason we exist today is because we are efficient at actually storing fat via insulin and other mechanisms. But when we start to lose weight, it goes against survival. And then if you think about women, women are, you know, they are, they need to help us reproduce the population. And the number one priority for the body is to survive. So for women, it's a little bit harder because of course you have different levels of hormones, you have less testosterone and they're always cycling. And then especially as you get towards the perimenopausal part of your life, now you have, you're, you're going through this transition where now the ovaries are starting to shut down and the ovaries are very important. They do a very important job. They have the highest concentration. The ovaries have the highest concentration of mitochondria than any other cell, men or women. It has 100,000 mitochondria in one ovary cell, which wow. is far and beyond any other cell. Usually it ranges from like hundreds to a thousand or thousands, but not a hundred thousand. So now the ovaries are beginning to shut down which now leaves your adrenal glands and your body fat to make up for the hormones that the ovaries were producing. So your metabolism can see a slowdown, but you also see you become more insulin resistant as you go into perimenopausal and postmenopausal. Doesn't mean it's impossible to lose weight. It just means there's going to be more barriers. So the overall goal, whether you are a man, a woman, cycling woman, perimenopausal woman, or postmenopausal woman, the overall goal is to do three things. Number one, identify interference. Number two, remove that interference. And then number three, allow your body to heal. And part of that healing is losing weight. Where a lot of people get weight loss wrong is they're looking at weight loss in this lens. And this is where a lot of programs teach it and they're wrong. Uh, they teach you to lose weight to get healthy. And yeah. it doesn't, the body doesn't work that way. We get healthy to lose weight. So the next question is, all right, how do we get healthy? inflammation. We focus on reducing cellular membrane inflammation. So now your fat burning hormones could get in, your nutrients could get in, and you can start burning fat. That's where something like ketosis that's well formulated and doing a keto flex approach, which we could talk about, and intermittent fasting come into play. But also it's important to focus on other things because I mentioned the adrenal glands are now picking up the slack for the ovaries. So at this time, it's important to do a lot of things that really help you overcome stress. I, I don't call it stress management. I like the term more stress masterment. So doing some yoga, meditation, walking in combination with other tools is a way to overcome losing uh, or the barriers you might face with losing weight as you enter this transition in your life. Amazing. Yes. And I totally agree with the 
managing or mastering stress. That's the way to do it for sure instead of managing it. So let's go into Keto 101. So this must be really basic for you, but I think for our listeners, let's give them a sort of a Keto 101 um, explanation. What is Keto? <laughs> and yeah. why, why do we want to do it as women? Yeah, so k- Keto technically is not a diet. It's a metabolic process, a metabolic state. It's been around forever. As long as humans have existed or, or animals, there have been there has been ketosis. Every single one of our ancestors did keto because their environment forced them into periods of time where they were in ketosis and then periods of time where they were out of ketosis. Hence my term keto flux, which is my new book that's coming out very, very soon. So why would we want to do it? Well, when we look at the body and we start studying the body, men and women, and we look at the body, there's 70 trillion cells inside of the body. That, that's a lot of cells. But out of those 70 trillion cells, we only have two options for, for burning fuel and, and that for burning energy. And that is either glucose, sugar, or fat ketones. Now, if we're stuck as a sugar burner, that's a problem. Because I compare when your cells are burning glucose and sugar, same thing, and only glucose and sugar, what happens is it creates a lot of cellular smoke, cellular byproducts, and a lot of toxicity in that cell, creating inflammation, preventing your fat burning hormones from getting in. So I always like to compare a cell that's burning sugar to a truck that's speeding through your highway with all this smoke just being blasted out of the exhaust pipe. You have, you know, visualized smoke going over the other cars, all over the road, all over the trees. That truck is not going to be healthy for the surrounding environment around it. But when your cells are stuck as sugar burners, it's not healthy for your cellular environment. So when you could teach the body to get into a clean keto type of approach, then your cells are going to be more efficient at burning energy. I compare that to a Tesla that's cruising through your streets, much cleaner for the surrounding environment, much cleaner for your cellular environment. So the goal is to do keto, but the problem, Rita, I know you've seen this, Keto is such a popular term. Everybody goes yeah. and talk to Google. They search for it. So a lot of people teach it in a way that might get you in ketosis technically, but it's increasing inflammation in your body. So the goal is to get into ketosis the right way and then understand when and how often to start flexing in and out of ketosis. And that is your keto flex, which is what you yeah. were writing a book on. Yeah. So thank you. That visual is amazing. I can totally see what's happening now and super clear. Um, so I'm sure... Our listeners have uh, appreciated that. So some of the mistakes that the people are making is that they're not flexing in and out because a lot of people lose the weight and then something goes haywire because it's not sort of sustainable to always be in ketosis. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Even especially for women. Now, men can be a little bit more strict with ketosis and stay in there a little bit longer, but women, either you're, whether you're cycling perimenopausal or postmenopausal, it's important for you to flex uh, around the 60-day mark. So I do like teaching approach where for 60 days, if you're new to keto, give it a good 60 days, reset your hormones, reduce inflammation, and then start flexing. And there's different ways to do it. And we could go over some protocols. But yes, the, here's the reason. Because if let's say somebody listening, one of your, your uh, self-care goddesses has been doing keto and they've been doing it for, let's say, six months or a year, and the weight loss has stopped, which is very common. He, here's why. Mm. Because when you're in ketosis for too long, there are four problems that occur. I wrote about this in my book. But one of them, the first one is weight loss actually slows down because the body, I mentioned it earlier, number one priority for the body is survival. And if you've only taught the body to burn one fuel source, fat, it's going to want to preserve that precious fuel source. The analogy I got from Dr. Pompa, my mentor, it's kind of like uh, somebody who has a cabin in, in, in the woods 
and it's summertime. So they are starting to store some firewood and fire logs to get ready for the winter when it's cold and they need to burn that firewood in order to stay warm. So they stored, let's say about 20 logs of, of firewood to get ready for the cold winter. Now they have 20 logs, but they have about four months of cold weather. So in order to get through those four months, they're going to want to preserve their precious fuel source and burn that firewood as slowly as possible. That's exactly what's happening in the body when you only burn fat. The body is only seeing one option as a fuel source and it wants to slow down and preserve that fuel source. So fat loss slows down. The body actually inserts water into the cell and could even... Um, block the receptor sites for fat burning to slow down the fat burning and you start getting this dimply fat. But when you practice keto flexing and you have a day per week or two days per week where you intentionally get out of ketosis, then it's like your buddy coming over and saying, oh, you only have 20 logs of firewood? I have 100 and I'm going to give you 50 of mine. So now you have 70. So you're going to be more motivated and inspired to burn more firewood. So when you have a keto flex day and intentionally up your carbs a little bit, it's like reminding the body that you have extra fuel and you start ramping up fat burning. Wow. That's an, again, another great analogy. And I love Dr. Pompa for those. <laughs> and, yes, and so <laughs> I know, right. So basically we want to avoid the body from adapting. Uh, sorry. No, we want to make sure the body's adapting that's and it. not getting stuck. And adaptation uh, is key. Exactly. Rita. So that's why the flex happens. And it's mm -hmm. basically, you can increase your carbs, not your chips and bagels and pastas and rice. Healthy carbs. <laughs> yeah. The non-starchy, the non-starchy kind. And that even you fruit, can, even like fruit and sweet potato and things like that, but yeah, nothing processed. Exactly. Whole foods. Yes. yes. Um, and even the butternut squash and the zucchinis and stuff, the Correct. more, or the root vegetables. Okay. So yep. that's good. That's good news. And then, so you recommend doing that once after the 60 days, once a week? It depends, right? So if somebody uh, after the 60 days, let's say they still have insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, maybe, uh, you know, some other hormonal issues going on, then you could be a little bit more aggressive and maybe do uh, once, once every other week, or instead of having a keto flex day where it's a whole bunch of carbs, the range is like 100 to 150 grams of carbs for that day. But if you have insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, there are other ways to do it. You could just increase your protein and not fast that day and increase your calorie surplus. It'll still give you a similar effect. But if you're somebody who is already at around their goal weight, maybe they're 10 pounds away, then doing it once per week is a good idea. That's where the 511 rule comes into play. And that could be a good strategy. And I could, I could explain that rule if you want. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. And it's from Dr. Pompa. I wrote about it in my book, but it's a seven day protocol. And this is a great way to practice keto flexing. So five days out of the week, you're practicing intermittent fasting, whatever your go-to schedule is, and you're in ketosis. Meaning when you are eating during those five days in your eating window, keto friendly meals, stay in ketosis. Those are the fives, the five days. Then the one, the first one is a 24 hour water fast. The reason I love that a 24 hour water fast once per week Number one, you're going to get more fat loss, more of this autophagy repair and cleanup. But there was also a very interesting study from MIT that showed just the 24-hour water fast strengthen intestinal stem cells. So mm -hmm. it can help with anybody who has some digestive issues. So that's the, the first one. The second one in the 511 is your keto flex day. It's also called a feast day or a keto cyclical day, whatever you want to call it. I call it a keto flex day. No fasting. You have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you have higher carbs, higher protein, lower fat. The carbs should be somewhere between 100 and 150 grams, and then protein, just increase your protein from what you were doing and lower your fat. 
So that's one day it's going to get you out of ketosis, which is what we want. It's creating that adaptation to your point, Rita. And if you've done this the right way, you should be back into ketosis within 24 to 48 hours. And that's the 511 rule. I love that rule. Mm, okay. And anyone can do that. Yes. Men and women and either where they are in their cycle or perimenopausal, postmenopausal. Yeah, they could do that. Super safe. Okay. And so what are some mistakes then that you're seeing when it comes to keto with your clients and your followers? Well, they're eating the bad fats, the Mm. wrong fats. Uh, I mentioned before, there are some bad uh, foods out there that could get you in ketosis, but they're not going to get you healthy. So I see a lot of people doing what's called dirty keto. They're eating these inflammatory vegetable oils and industrial seed oils and fish oil, by the way, that's a bad fat too. So I recommend um, staying away from them because they're unstable fats and they could actually create inflammation around your cell membrane for six to 12 months. Meaning if you just did an audit today and you got rid of all these oils, your cells will not go back to functioning healthy for another six to 12 months. So the bad fats are like uh, canola oil, mm-hmm. soybean oil, corn oil, rice bran oil, peanut oil, safflower oil, grapeseed oil. Those are bad, unstable fats we want to avoid. And fish oil. I would add fish oil into the mix. So instead, we want stable fats that actually heal the cells and, and reduce inflammation. So avocado oil is terrific. Olive oil is great. Grass-fed butter, grass-fed ghee, coconut oil, MCT oil, lard, duck fat. Those are much stable fats. And the ghee as well. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's with this fish oil? Why isn't it good for us? Do you mean the the supplement form? I mean the supplement form. Not eating the fish is totally fine. But the the supplement form is bad. Uh, It's estimated that at least 83% of all the fish oil sold in the world is rancid on the shelf before we even consume it. Right. So 83%. So let's say it's one of the great companies out there that's 17% that makes a good one. There are some other problems, and I'm actually in the middle of recording, a, 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 getting video content together and studies. Um, fish oil has been linked to skin cancer. It has been linked also to um, what's called an omega-3 dominance. So mm-hmm. here's the problem. The brain only requires 7.5 milligrams of EPA and DHA per day. One fish oil capsule averages around one gram, a thousand milligrams of EPA and DHA, and people are taking two, three, four a day. So you're getting an overdose, a super physiological overdose of omega-3. And here's why that's a problem. I know omega-3 is great, Mm -hmm. but not too much of it, especially in the form of fish oil, because it pushes out something in your cells called cardiolipin, which is a fat, it's a lipid raft that actually protects your your mitochondria membrane. And it pushes it out and it creates problems inside of the cell. And, And so that's a problem right there. And then another problem is that even if it's healthy fish oil that's not rancid, when you consume it, your body is warm, fish oil needs to be cool, and the, it mixes with stomach acid and it turns it rancid. So what happens is it turns into a toxic compound in the body, even the healthiest fish oil it turns into a toxic compound, and now your body needs to signal for some insul- uh, excuse me, for, some, for the antioxidant to go deal with the fish oil instead of your antioxidants dealing with something else. So somebody who's taking fish oil and antioxidants canceling each other out. So I'm not a, I'm not a fan of fish oil. Wow. Why is nobody talking about this? Or at least not all, as much as they should be. Because yes, yeah. I, I did hear about the imbalance, but I just also heard because people's diets is so, they're, they're so bad, they, they need to supplement with the omega-3s because they're over-consuming omega-6s. But it does make sense that if you're healthy and you're not consuming those nasty GMO bad oils, then you really don't need to supplement the omega-3s. 
Correct. And you could, and you could get the omega threes just from eating food, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right. A lot of people have too much omega six, not enough omega three. So the goal, first of all, is to limit your bad omega six. There is good omega six, but limit, avoid your bad omega six. I already mentioned all those vegetable oils, but the solution is not to take fish oil and get all this omega three in the form of fish oil. The solution is just to eat foods that have omega three, hemp seeds, walnuts, um, wild caught salmon, like eat the fish instead of taking the fish oil. I don't know why more practitioners are not speaking about this. I mean, Dr. Pompa is, so are some other people in the space. I'm somebody who used to take fish oil and recommend it for years. And then I came across the research and, I'm, and I saw uh, I, I was wrong and I stopped taking it and I stopped recommending it. And I got a lot, I get a lot of heat when I do talk about this because people think that, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but the studies back it up. Like I always put the studies in my post. Yeah. So more people need to be speaking about this to your point. Yeah, amazing. And thank you for bringing that up to our listeners today. So we will definitely follow up with that for sure. I'd like to look at the studies as well. So let's move from keto to fasting. So that's something that I've personally experienced amazing results with. And uh, Ramadan is coming up and I, I actually used to live in Dubai. So I have a lot of friends that are going to fast during Ramadan. And believe it or not, I lived there for 10 years. I never wow. actually, I know, but I never actually took like the time to do the fast with them. So uh-huh. now that I'm back in Canada, I'm actually going to do it with them remotely, which is sounds a little funny, but they do a dry fast. So yeah. have, have you done that? I have, I have. Oh, so my, awesome. mom, my mom practices Ramadan still to this day. Cause she's, she's from Iran. She's Muslim. Um, yeah. A dry fast is very extreme, but I have done it. I've done a 24 hour dry fast. That's even more than Ramadan. Yep. Um, but yeah, so there's two types of dry fasting. There's what's called a soft dry fast and a hard dry fast. A hard dry fast is the most extreme one out there, meaning you don't eat, you don't drink water, but also you don't wash your hands, you don't shower, you don't get any contact with water because whenever water touches your skin, your cells absorb it and you get some hydration. A soft dry fast means no water, no food, but you could take a shower, you could brush your teeth, et cetera. Both are extreme. And you know there's some hypothetical research that shows you could get more of this autophagy cellular cleanup with a dry fast versus a water fast, but you got to really know what you're doing because it is a little extreme. Yeah, exactly. And I think I need to prep for it. So I think there's 40 days left or something. So I'm going to definitely, what are some things that I can do to prep for the dry fast? Well, when you, during your eating window to make sure you get enough electrolytes, minerals, fluids, and food, and then uh, you're well rested at night. So you could function really good during the day when the sun's up. So uh, during your eating window is important to make sure you are prepared to get all that in during your window. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. So what are the different types of fasts? Oh yeah. There's so many. <laughs> I know. Right. And they keep adding more and more every day. <laughs> <laughs> I love fasting too. I mean, the most basic one and the most common one is just like uh, an intermittent fast. It's also called time restricted feeding. Uh, a 16, eight is a very popular schedule. So that means out of a 24-hour period, 16 hours out of that 24-hour period, you're in the fasted state. You're just having water, some sea salt. You're not eating food. You're not raising glucose. And then you have an eight-hour eating window, feeding window, where you can have two or three meals in that window. So that's a good place to start. And then you could throw in some advanced strategies or even take that 16-8 to an 18-6 or throw in a weekly 24-hour fast. And then we have extended block fasting. We have alternate day fasting. We have a 5-2 method, but I don't want to confuse your audience. A 16-8 is a good place to start. For the time-restricted eating, right? Yes. And so then when you are eating, what should we be eating? Obviously, whole foods. You don't want yeah. to binge on 
um, processed foods for sure. But it doesn't matter how you break the fast when you're doing just sort of a time restricted eating, or is it okay to sort of eat whatever, um, obviously healthy whole foods? Yeah, how you break the fast is important, uh, mm-hmm. even with a shorter fast like that, especially if your goal is fat loss and weight mm-hmm. loss, which I know that your audience is, you know, possibly looking for that. So we, we don't want to break the fast with a combination of carbohydrates and fat. Here's why. Because when you are breaking a fast, your hormones are going to be more sensitive, which is great. We, we want sensitive hormones. We do not want desensitized hormones. So insulin is going to be one of those hormones that are going to, it's going to do a better job when you break a fast. So if you eat carbs and fat, let's say, for example, like avocado toast, you have the, the avocado, which is fat. You have the toast, which is carbs. The, the toast, the carbs is going to raise glucose in the body. Mm-hmm. Now, insulin is going to do a good job at now taking the excess glucose out of the bloodstream and start shuttling and shuttling it into the cell. So it unlocks the cell door, puts the glucose into the cells. But the problem is that fat will go along for the ride and it could slow down fat loss. So that's mm-hmm. the bad way to break a fast. The best way to break a fast is with mostly protein and some fat. So I'll give you some examples. Bone broth is a great way to break a fast. Eggs and avocado, great way to break a fast. Um, steak and green leafy vegetables, great way. A keto smoothie, great way to break a fast. So that does matter. If you want to get some really good weight loss, fat loss benefits, then that's the way I would break the fast. Mm-hmm. Awesome tips. So what I found in my own personal experience is that if I do fast, then I'm not really that hungry to eat. So sometimes I just eat one meal and obviously I can't get the amount of calories I need in one meal. So is that Does that cause any trouble in terms of my hormones or what's your opinion on that? If you do it sporadically once or twice a week, no. But if you do it too often, yes. Uh, The the main thing you want to focus on is getting enough protein, especially perimenopausal, postmenopausal, because you tend to, you want to be able to build some lean muscle mass as you lose it. You want to build it back up to prevent hip fractures, et cetera. So uh, I wouldn't do it every single day because you don't want too much fasting, just like you don't want too much feasting. Mm. The magic is in the balance. It's kind of like a seesaw, right? So we have the two pathways. The two main pathways that I'm speaking about here in the body is the fasting pathway called autophagy, where it's, it's catabolic, but it's cleaning up in a good way. It's repairing cells. That's a good thing, but too much autophagy could weaken the immune system, eat away a, bad, uh, a good protein. So we don't want too much of that. But then the opposite of autophagy is a process, a pathway called mTOR, mechanistic targeted rapamycin, that's growth. That's anabolic when you eat food, protein. Um, that's growth. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually very healing in spurts. But when you're in too much growth, that can lead to disease. So we want to balance it out. If you're doing a 24-hour fast, doing OMAD, one meal a day, all the time, you're going to get too much autophagy. You're not going to get enough protein. And it could create problems. The thyroid could begin to dysfunction because insulin is required to help the thyroid make the T4 to T3 conversion. So yes, we want to balance that out. I wouldn't do an OMAD every single day. It also depends on how much extra body fat the person has, but I, we need to balance the feasting with the fasting. So when it comes to those 5-1-1 sort of schedule, even within the five, you should be flexing or variating your, your fasting. You shouldn't be doing the same fast within those five days. Well, with the five one one, you could stick with that schedule because on that five days, you could either do a 16-8 or an 18-6, but... It, the reason you could still stick with the same fast for those five days is because the other two days you're, you're, you're varying it up. Okay. So that's not a problem. You could stick with the same routine for those five days. So you could do the one meal a day for those five days, as long as you 
switch it up those other two days. No, I, I wouldn't recommend the one meal a day because the, the one in the five one one, the first one is the one meal a day. So mm-hmm. if you do a five and then the one, you're getting six one meals a day. I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. Okay. So variation is key. <laughs> variation. Adaptation. That's the key. Yep. Variation and adaptation. Yes. Okay. So that's awesome. So do you think that women should be do- fasting differently? And I know there's some research, yes, out there. So can you help enlighten us with that, please? Yeah, I mean, perfect example. You know, your hormones fluctuate and progesterone and estrogen are two very important hormones and they tend to vary depending on the time of the month. So what happens is when women fast too much, they could have a lot of problems. One of them is the thyroid, right? The thyroid, thyroid issues are more common in women than they are for men. Mm -hmm. When you're practicing too much fasting, you're going to have too much, uh, your insulin is going to be chronically low. That could be a problem because I mentioned we need insulin spikes from time to time to help that T4 to T3 conversion. That's important. Another thing to consider is that fasting is a stress to the body. Mm-hmm. It's a good stress. It's what's called a hormetic stress. But if you have a lot of stress going on, whether it's mental, emotional stress from work or whatever it is uh, going on in your life, and then you add fasting to it and you're doing a lot of fasting, it's just too much stress for your body to adapt to and it could have a counter effect. So it's important to make sure you're getting good sleep, you're mastering your stress, you have some outlets for stress, and then you pair the fasting. But it's important to pair the fasting and balance it with the feasting. So what I noticed is that men could be more aggressive with fasting, with fasted workouts and with ketosis, but women more delicate, your hormones are more delicate. It's important to balance it out even further and be more intentional with balancing out the fasting with the feasting. That's why something like a 511 works terrific for a perimenopausal woman or a postmenopausal woman. And so the 511, there are five um, consecutive days correct? It don't have to be. Okay. Yeah. You could do it that way, or you can mix it up, whatever is best for your schedule. Okay. Whatever fits. Okay. That's, that's cool. And so can you give us some tips for losing that stubborn weight around the uh, waist that we potentially would call the muffin top, the midlife muffin top? How do we get rid of it? (laughs) I would start with sleep. You know, making sure you're getting at least seven hours of quality sleep. You're getting your, your deep stages of sleep. A lot of great things happen during sleep. One of them is fat burning. A lot of your fat burning hormones are activated during deep sleep. Uh, Your brain is also flushing out toxins, activating the lymphatic system. So start with sleep. And then if your sleep is optimized, then there's some bonus things you could add into the mix. There's some interesting research that shows astaxanthin could help Mm -hmm. uh, with with, uh, burning fat. Now, I wouldn't get it in the form of fish oil. I would get it in the form of eating wild caught fish or maybe just supplementing with like an uh, algae astaxanthin. Uh, turmeric could also help with some belly fat or, or just fat overall. Green tea mm-hmm. has a component in it called uh, catechins, which actually can help with uh, belly fat specifically. Cold exposure could help with belly fat. It helps activate brown fat. So taking a cold shower, a cold plunge, even putting uh, ice packs on your shoulder blades and clavicle muscles at night, maybe for 20 minutes, could give you a, 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 an effect. Brown fat helps you burn belly fat in that muffin top because the muffin top fat is the white fat, the visceral fat, but brown fat is more mitochondrial dense. It burns more calories. So when you activate brown fat through cold exposure, your body actually converts white fat to brown fat. You burn more calories. So that's something you do right there. And then of course, following these, this keto flexing approach, intermittent fasting approach, and movement is important. Um, exercise is also important. You know, exercise 
is not really a great fat loss tool. It's more of a health tool, but there is one benefit to exercise when it comes to fat loss. I recently interviewed Dr. Sylvia Terra, PhD, who wrote a book, The Secret Life of Fat. And she shared some really interesting research. When you exercise, your body activates a fat-burning hormone called adiponectin. Mm-hmm. And adiponectin is kind of like a Sherpa. It tells you, it tells where your fat to go get stored. So it, it actually directs fat to be stored in your subcutaneous fat versus your visceral fat, your, your organs, your muffin top. So that has an effect. She also shared this, very perfect for your podcast. <laughs> uh, she shared that women get uh, an increase. Let me rephrase this the right way. Women produce 33% more ghrelin after exercise than men. Mm-hmm. Ghrelin is the hunger hormone. It's yeah. like hunger pang. So women produce 33% more ghrelin after exercise than men. Yeah. So that means you got to make sure you have a, a proper way to break the fast or to have a, a, some sort of like protein shake to have after your workout, your exercise to help combat the ghrelin. Mm, those are interesting points. So make sure you eat some sort of protein right after your workout, but not. And also, I think you need, we need to cycle our workouts as well, mm-hmm. depending on where we are um, in the month. So that's very important. We can't always go hard, hard, hard or hit training or spin class because, the, yeah. The best time to go hard for your workouts, the best time to go hard for keto and fasting to be aggressive is the week right after the period. That's the mm-hmm. best time. And then specifically day six, six to 13. So the sixth day after the, the, the cycle has started, day six to 13, there's the highest concentration of testosterone. That's the best time to up the protein and to do more strength training. Okay, amazing. Thank you. We'll yeah. write that in our show notes with some more um, details for sure. So when it comes to weight loss, which fast do you recommend? Because there's different varieties as we mentioned which one would you recommend? And maybe perhaps for a beginner and then for more advanced, faster. So for the beginner, I like an 18-6 every day with the exception of a a 24-hour fast once per week. So six days doing an 18-6, 18 18 hours fasted, six hours eating. In the six-hour eating window, we only want two meals, two keto-friendly meals, ideally. And then you're fasting outside of that. And then doing a 24-hour fast once per week. That's a good approach uh, well, I would say for a beginner, first get really comfortable with the 18.6 and then throw the 24-hour fast. That's a little bit more advanced. And then for the advanced ones out there, uh, a block fast, an extended water fast. So three days or longer, mm. 72-hour fast has really good um, benefits for really burning some fat. But I do recommend you work with somebody, you look at yeah. your glucose and ketones, you make sure you're getting enough water and electrolytes and sea salt, but that could be terrific. The best time to do that is the week once the bleed week, once the period hits, by the way. The best time to do the fat burning one. The block fast, yeah. The block fast, okay. And so when you, during the 16-hour fast, um, I usually start with sort of a bulletproof kind of coffee. So do you recommend that for a fat loss? So I I love bulletproof. I use it, but it, it could slow down fat loss just because your body needs to burn the calories and the fat from the bulletproof coffee and then go back to your body fat. So if you want to see an increase in fat loss, I would just have the coffee black because that way your body could go right into tapping into your fat stores. Okay. That's a good tip. Thank you. And how about for longevity? Which fast would you recommend that we take on? The 24-hour fast once a week is a good maintenance plan. And then doing a block extended fast five days or so once per year is a great way for longevity. Dr. Thomas Seafried 
who is an oncologist, world-renowned cancer doctor. He wrote the book, Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. He has been quoted as saying, a seven-day water-only fast could reduce your risk of cancer by 95%. Wow. Which is a very powerful quote. Mm -hmm. Very smart man. That's because of this maximum autophagy. Autophagy is your body's way of cleaning out the junk. The mm -hmm. analogy that I give for autophagy, it's kind of like the refrigerator you have inside of your kitchen. You open up the refrigerator and you see groceries, you see produce, you see milk, you see whatever is in there. Every grocery has an expiration date. And imagine if you just let all the groceries expire inside of your fridge and instead of throwing the groceries into the trash, you kind of just push them towards the back of the fridge, shove them in the shelves, buy fresh groceries, put those fresh groceries in front of the old groceries and close the door. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be. Yeah. Sounds familiar too. <laughs> it's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> right. Me too. It'd be a toxic environment, right? Mm -hmm. The body is like that refrigerator. We have cells, mm -hmm. proteins, mitochondria, fat that have an expiration date on them. As a matter of fact, 70 billion cells per day need to go through this cleaning out process. So autophagy is that process of cleaning out the junk and you get a maximum autophagy effect with a block fast, which has tremendous anti-aging benefits. Wow. I'm going to try that. The most I've tried is 36 hours and it was That's phenomenal. Right. Yeah, it too. was phenomenal, but I did have, um, it wasn't dry. It was um, herbal teas. So I had a lot of herbal teas and after maybe at 30 hours, I literally felt like I was on a natural high. And then yeah. my parents were like, what are you doing? Start eating something. And I was like, okay, I'm going to eat something. But I waited a six more hours before I, I ate something. So awesome. I am, yeah, looking forward to it for sure. What was your longest? I did five days. Five yeah. days. Okay. Yeah. So you do that quite often. So that's what uh, Victor Longo um, as well, the fast mimicking diet, I think he says do that once a year or something or twice a year, depending on your health. Right. And yeah. But so they, there's, there's is a partial fast. It's not as, it's not as powerful as a, wa mm -hmm. a water fast, but there's benefits to the, his approach as well. But yes, yeah. that's correct. Awesome. Okay. So I think we're just um, about to wrap up before we do, I'd love to hear from you. What are your top three self-care actions that our listeners can actually start today to help with these symptoms and help with fat loss? I know we've talked about a lot of them. So what are your top three that you would recommend? Yeah. The first one is actually something we haven't even mentioned. It's gratitude. Um, oh, wow. Gratitude is a, is, a, is a healing superpower that not a lot of people use. You know, I believe whatever we appreciate, appreciates, and whatever we think about and think about, we bring about. So having just a gratitude practice, I call it gratituding. Um, maybe you <laughs> write down 10 things you're grateful for before bed, do it in the morning. You start feeding energy to what's working for you. The universe states you get more things that you want to work for you. Gratitude is so undervalued, so underappreciated, but it is a superpower. So that's number one. Number two is loving yourself, right? Self-love. Mm -hmm. Because if you have hate inside of you, if you have hate for your body, hate for whatever you're dealing with, you cannot heal a body that you hate and you cannot heal a body that has hate. So any resentment, any hateful thoughts, that's creating inflammation in your body. And if that sounds woo-woo, there's actually science to back that up. Uh, yeah. Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a cell biologist, he's coming on my podcast, Keto Camp Podcast, next month. He, said, he, he has shown in his work that negative thoughts, hateful thoughts for yourself or for other people, send sound waves to your DNA nucleus in your cells, which tells the DNA to create specific proteins that lead to disease, Mm -hmm. Right. So we got to practice self-love and that, you know, that can mean looking in the mirror and saying to yourself, thank you. I love you. That could be using affirmations. I love myself. I love myself. 
So that's the second thing. The third thing is to move. You know, movement is something that we could all do. Get in your steps. I believe movement is more important than exercise. So get in at least 10,000 steps a day. Stand more often. I'm standing right now on my stand-up desk. So movement. So we have gratitude, self-love, love for others as well, and then movement. Oh, amazing. Those are amazing. Um, actually, the motto for Savoia self-care is that self-care is not selfish, it's self-love. So I totally resonate with what you're yes. saying. And I love Bruce Lipton. I can't wait to hear oh, yeah. your podcast. That's amazing. Um, congrats on that. Thank you. So before we wrap up, where can people find you? The Keto Camp Podcast is a great resource. We're 240 episodes in. We've got some amazing right. people on there, scientists, doctors. So that's a great place. And then my YouTube channel, um, and keep in mind, camp is spelled with the K. You said it earlier, Keto mm-hmm. Camp, Camp with the K. Uh, just type that in on YouTube and type in my name, Ben Azadi, on any social media platform, and I'll be happy to connect with you, answer questions, and uh, yeah, I'm always available. Amazing. Well, we'll make sure our listeners do that. Um, thank you so much for joining the Savoya Self-Care Goddess podcast and helping to keep the conversation going by empowering women to discover such holistic ways to help us manage our weight and the, and the pursuit of good health and happiness and vitality as we age. So thank you. I'm super grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for the awesome interview, Rita. I appreciate it. I had a blast. Thanks. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking part of your day and sharing it with me by listening to this amazing podcast episode. I would also like to thank our sponsors, St. Lucian Seamoss. Check them out and get some awesome Seamoss at www.stlucianseamoss.co. If you enjoyed this podcast and it was helpful, please share it with your loved ones or a friend and check out SavoyaSelfCare.com for more amazing wellness tips. Please also leave us a rating now on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot and send it to info at SavoyaSelfCare.com. We will reply with a gift as a grateful thank you. If you want to upgrade your healthy living and take it to the next level, be sure to join us next week. And remember, self-care is not selfish, it's self-love. Ciao for now.